Lord, church. I give honor to my pastor and my bishop, the rest of the ministry for the opportunity. I'm actually glad that they're here tonight because the past couple times I've been up here, other issues have come up and they haven't been able to be here, but I'm glad they're here tonight. Um, before we get into the word, I did want to do something I did not want to forget. Um, a couple weeks ago, our Christian ed team, you know, we were working hard on uh, a lot of the classrooms. I know, I'm sure everybody's kind of noticed a lot of the remodels done on our Sunday school classrooms and things. And I wanted to take a moment to publicly thank everyone who showed up, everyone who toiled that whole day. But I also want to take a special thank you, a real special one, because it was supposed to be a work day and it turned into like a work week, work two weeks, every night. For two weeks, some of us were up here. And so I want to give honor to Brother Larry. He showed up every day after work. I want to give honor to Brother Chris Vanover. He's back there. He showed up. Brother Ronnie Thompson. I'll tell you right now, like a lot of the work, like we were blessed to have these three show up the way they did and the way the rooms look it's professional done like they are really good at what they do i mean brother ronnie and brother chris they actually had to go outside in the rain they were digging outside the windows to stop the leaking from coming in i mean a whole mess of things that they had to deal with but i appreciate them showing up the way they did no pay nobody really knew but i appreciate it so thank you again So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24. Book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24. Brother Larry, he was honestly, when he was up here praying too for like the prayer requests and just praying for the service, he's basically praying my lesson too, so. Honestly, I don't know if anybody's noticed lately, but a lot of the preaching and the teaching that's been taking place you know, from our pastor and bishop and others, it's been very cross-centric. It's been very, it's been very much about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And today, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Pastor, would you pray? And you can be seated. I'd like to ask, start this off by asking everybody a question. <clears throat> by show of hands, who here thinks that the United States of America is a Christian nation? It's not a trick question. Anybody think we're a Christian nation? All right, so we got a couple. Our country was founded on this idea, and it was written in our Declaration of Independence 
that man has a right to life, has a right to liberty, and a right to pursue happiness. But my question then is that if we are or not a Christian nation, is that if these are our rights, what in the world is going on in this country today? What is supposed to be our right, but yet we find people who don't value life. We find no liberty. I mean, just turn on the news. Happiness, people are struggling with depression, suicide. People are dealing with loss of income, loss of jobs, dealing with how to navigate this pandemic, having to deal with just the politics and the craziness of life. Where are those fundamental rights that supposedly this nation was founded on? And that's what I'd like to talk about today because it's no coincidence that the things that a nation goes through, particularly the United States, and the rights that we had, it's no coincidence that all of a sudden those rights seem to be fleeting from us the more we continue to push Jesus Christ out. Because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ says, I am the life. That I am the bread of life. Jesus Christ, being God, says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But yeah, we want to push God out, so there goes liberty with it. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for happiness in the sense that, well, I just want to build my career, build my dreams, build my home, build be a part of whatever group it is that will make me feel good, whether it's LGBTQ plus community and people just want to be a part of that community think that makes them happier. People want to be a part of some other group, Republican, Democrat, whatever it is, and the nation is becoming more and more divided as time has gone on. And this thinking that, well, if I just find people that are like me and then I can rally and find people who tell me what I want to hear, and then I'll be happy because I'm a part of whatever social group, whatever social club, Facebook group, whatever it is. But we find that despite all that, happiness seems to be dwindling and fleeting. And I'd like to bring up the reason that these things are fleeting is that people in this country, I'm speaking specifically with the United States, you can take this for the world too, is that we have forgotten what it is to actually bear our cross. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, okay? Now, this is a Bible study, so we're going to break this down. Jesus said in Matthew 16 again, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, remember, he is life, where he is, there's liberty, he wants you to be happy, okay? He says, you have to deny yourself. Step one. Step two, take up the cross. Step three, follow me. So let's talk about denying ourselves. Book of Mark, chapter 10. Sister Sandy, I'm assuming you're good to go, right? All right. Book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And Jesus was going down the road. One came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And Jesus responds, He says, You know, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. You know, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And the man answered Jesus and says, I've kept all of these from my youth. And then Jesus responds to him and says, You've done good in these things. Just kind of reading it. You've done good in these things, but there's one thing you lack. Take everything that you have, sell it, and give to the poor. Now, the issue here is not necessarily that the man had money. God's not against people having money. The issue is, is that at this point in this man's life, he's never once denied himself. 
He had religion, but he never actually got to the place where he actually genuinely denied himself because when you actually deny yourself like Christ was telling us to do in Matthew 16, it actually costs you something with the express, with the express benefit of betting, benefiting all those that are around you. It brings you down and raises up those around you. And that's exactly what he tells the man here in verse 21. It says, then Jesus looked at him, loved him, said to him, one thing, one thing you let, go sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and take up the cross and follow me. The world has religion. The United States has religion. People have religion. They use it as a mark of identity, whether they're Catholic, Baptist, Buddhist, whatever Confucius people call themselves, is that Buddhist? Muslims, Jews, everyone's got some sort of codified law, and they try to adhere to that law. But yet, none of it involves bearing an actual cross. None of it involves literally what Jesus is saying, deny yourself for the express benefit of benefiting others, of lifting others up. And we as disciples, and Luke actually puts this more eloquently, I'll, put it, I'll say it's eloquently compared to Matthew, Luke records Jesus in the same, same story saying that Jesus said, you can't even be his disciple unless you pick up your cross and follow him. So it's not a matter of the rules as much as it is the heart of the person. So step one, deny yourself. And this is where, like, if I could just talk to the young people for a second. I'm assuming some of you want to go to college. I'm assuming some of you want to go off and get married and start lives for yourselves. But I tell you right now, none of that will bring true happiness. None of it will bring true happiness if God's not in it. The only life worth living is a life in which others are built up. And we think of that, we want to be like God at the end of the day, and that's exactly what God does. God is perfect in everything, yet he lowered himself to a little below the angels with the, with the express goal of raising up people who don't deserve it. That's the only way, really, to achieve the true happiness. So before you go to college and before you go off and pursue your dreams, ask yourself something and ask God, like, God, is this dream from you? Is this dream going to stop me from bearing my cross? Is this dream going to stop me from denying myself? Okay. Step two, Jesus said, take up your cross. Okay. You can't take it up without first denying yourself. Okay. Luke 23, 20, Luke 23, 26. It says, now as they led him away, Jesus, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Jesus had picked up his cross. Somewhere along the way, the cross was even a little difficult for Jesus himself to carry. I mean, he had just got done being mauled and beaten. A lot of stuff that the pastor had already taught us and talked to us about the past couple weeks. Everything that Jesus had to go through, and the, the cross was a little overbearing, and he needed help. Okay? But I want to highlight something here. It says at the end of verse 26, And on him, Simon, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. 
the burden that Jesus bared was his own. The call to take on the sin of the world was his own. It wasn't Simon's. Others can help us carry our cross. You're not alone. You're not alone. But at the end of the day, even though, Brother J.J., you're called to ministry, you're called to do things. One of these days, you're going to pick up that cross, and it's going to be hard to carry. I'll say this, that I'll be there to help you carry your cross, but no matter how much I'm willing to help you, I can't get ahead of you. You have to stay in front of me because at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the cross is yours and yours alone to die on, not me. I have my own cross I have to die on. I have my own cross to bear too. Right? So most of us, we kind of get one and two. Whether or not sometimes our flesh gets in the way and we actually follow through, most of us at an intellectual level understand steps one and two, which is denying ourselves and taking up a cross. You know you're denying yourself and taking up your cross because it actually costs you something. Sometimes it's an inconvenience to what you thought you had that you wanted to do in life. Right? So that's how you know that. But the real issue that, at least from my perspective, a lot of us struggle with is these next steps. Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's not enough to just take up the cross or embrace the calling or embrace whatever it is God's calling you to do. It's an obligation that when we pick up the cross that we continue to follow with the cross. Okay? And there's only one way to bear the cross. And that's with humility. Pride has no business. If there's pride in our hearts, we're never going to bear the cross because the entire thing of bearing a cross was that it was a humbling humiliating experience. If we try to bear our cross any other way than Jesus did, we're going to fail. We're going to stagnate in our ministries. We're going to stagnate in our walk with God. We're going to stagnate in the people that we need to be in our families, in our communities, in our church. We're going to stagnate if we don't continue to bear the cross in the manner that Jesus bore his cross. We'll never reach the end game. And actually, the title of this, Sister Sandy, is the end game. I don't know if we put it up there or not, but the title of this is end game. But I want to take a second and talk about the, the heart of one who follows after him, the, one, the heart of a person that actually is bearing the cross and doing it the right way. And for me, my guy's David, King David, Old Testament. If we can, let's pull up 2 Samuel 1. Saul had just died. He was just killed in battle. His son, most of his sons, including Jonathan, David's best friend, was killed in battle too. Now Saul had spent his life hunting David, forcing David to live in a cave. He was hunted like a dog, persecuted, had no place to lay his head. A lot of the Psalms that we find which, you know, David is lamenting or going through a hard time and he reaches out to God and gives God praise anyways. A lot of that was because of the issues that Saul had caused in his own life. David didn't do anything wrong. I mean, Saul hated David so much and was so jealous of David that he literally took his daughter, Melka, that he gave to David as a wife. He took her back and forced her to marry another man. He did everything he could to destroy David. He did everything he could. I mean, Jonathan almost died trying to protect David. Saul hated David so much and did everything he could to see that he wouldn't see the light of another day. But yet when Saul passed away, when Saul was killed in battle, 
and Jonathan. And David hears the news. David's response isn't a sigh of relief. They're like, well, good riddance to him. Or thank God he's out of my way. No, he grieved for Saul. See, we were once at one time enemies of Christ too. We did the same thing. We were enemies of God. The scripture says that my mind is literally an enemy of God. But yet despite me being in the stance of an enemy with God, he still bore his cross for me. And he had nothing but a, a dream and a desire to see me succeed and to see me restored to him. And I actually want to read this psalm here. It's not even a psalm. It's, we don't have the actual book, but it's the song that, that David had written, a lamentation. 2 Samuel 1, 17. It says, Then David lamented with the lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his sons, the song of the bow, verse 18. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Yasher. The beauty of Israel is slain in your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. David at this point, he's, he's using natural imagery to, to, to describe just how he's feeling. He says, let all the earth just be sad right now at the loss of Saul. Verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. And this is what I didn't get as I was reading this, verse 23. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. David, the guy who was hunted by Saul, bore a cross before crosses were even invented, and his response to being attacked and being vilified by an enemy was to speak kindly about the enemy. He built up Saul in this lamentation. He says he was beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. It says, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. That despite all the persecution that he went through, and hopefully some people are kind of seeing the parallel here, that Jesus, when he was being mocked and scourged and beaten by the very people that he had healed, by the very people that he had lifted up, David already experienced some of that in his own life before a cross was ever even invented. The heart, the manner in which we carry our cross isn't to be combative or divisive, especially to the world. The world's already divided enough as it is. The world's already bitter enough as it is. And it's a dangerous thing for us, the, the children of the one true God, the body of Christ, to allow ourselves to respond to our enemies with bitterness, with anger, with wrath, knowing full well that, I mean, there are people that have been prominent figures have died in the past couple months, you know, Rush Limbaugh and who's the, the king, not really the king of England. Yeah, that guy. You would, th you would think that some honor would kind of be shown, or at least some sort of solemn like thing would be said. But the vitriol of people saying that they're glad that they're dead or there's a special place in hell for them. David never said that about Saul. David understood this one thing about God, and God himself actually wrote it in Scripture. He says that he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. What's our response to our enemies 
when they fall? What's our response to our enemies when they mess up? You know, honestly, it was Solomon's son. I mean, David's son, actually, Solomon. He would write this in Proverbs, and it's honestly, it's, it's no real big shocker. I mean, knowing who his father was, the example that he had before him. He writes, he writes this in Proverbs 24. It says, do not rejoice when your enemies fall, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. So let's just play a little thing here with this verse. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Let's substitute the word enemy for certain things that we deal with in this life. Do not rejoice when Governor Whitmer falls, and do not let your heart be glad when she stumbles. See, I kind of know all the politicking and <laughs> all that. Scripture is very clear that we're to bear our cross. We don't bear our cross by rejoicing when an enemy's struggling or an enemy falls. We're to, we're to grieve, we're to pray, we're to, we're to do everything we can to live peaceably with them. Without us, who's going to be the light of the world? We are the light of the world. If we're not going to bear the cross, the world has no hope. I mean, that's how that works. Do not rejoice when President Biden falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. I'm very well aware of all the memes and the jokes and all that about the president. But if I could just kind of say this, and I'm not saying God told me anything or anything like that, but I, I look back on the election and the fervor of some people in the church. I'm not just talking about moral life, I'm just talking about church in general. But, oh, President Trump's going to win in a landslide, all this. Sometimes I sat there and I wonder, I know that God puts people in power and God removes them from power. Okay, And I sit there and I wonder, I'm like, you know, President Trump, he did pretty good. Why remove him, God? Not saying God told me anything. It's just me kind of spitballing here. But sometimes I wonder if maybe his, God's own people looked more to President Trump than they did him. And God's like, I'm just going to remove this and I'm going to put this in so my people will look to me. You know, these people, these people, these leaders, the leaders of these organizations, I mean, we all know how businesses now are basically throwing their muscle around trying to get their well done in politics and everything, too. But every single one of these people belong to God just like we do. They may be dying lost. Lord willing, they don't. We want to see them saved. But last I checked, God also made it like the fire, too. It's all his. And it's on his people, regardless of the situation, that we maintain the right heart and we continue to bear our cross in the right way. So let's go ahead and take this to even our own brothers and sisters. Let's take this outside and just keep this inside the church now. When one of we see one of our own brothers and sisters fall, we do, we make mistakes, we fail, our flesh gets in the way, we get on each other's nerves. There are times where I'll, I'll get up here, I'll make a mistake, and the pastor will correct me or somebody's going to yell at me, which is, which is fine. But what's our response when we see somebody going through it? Is it gossip? Is it I told you so? Or have we forgotten the knowledge that God's given us that whom God loves, he corrects? So if God still loves his son or his daughter, what's our problem? Right? 
know, we can follow religion. We can pay tithes, go to Sunday school even. Wink, wink. We can go to Sunday school. We can do all these things. But if our heart isn't like his, it's all for nothing. It's for nothing. Jesus himself, I mean, his ministry wasn't to come into the world to condemn the world, but what was it? That the world through him might have life? He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Who are we to try to condemn? Who are we to try to condemn the LGBTQ plus community? We don't condone the sin. That's not what I'm saying here. Don't put words in my mouth. That's not what I'm saying. But if all we have is vitriol in, in, in our social media posts where we've got to debate and vigorously just go after certain political groups and things like that, we are doing a huge disservice to ourselves, and we're doing a huge disservice to the world, and we're failing to live up to the ministry that God's called us to have. Every single one of us, we've all heard this, we all got a calling, we all got a ministry. I'm going to tell you exactly what that ministry is. And Pastor actually talked about it a little bit Sunday. Our ministry, every one of us, we may have different specialties, whether it's musicians, teaching, pastor, bishop, whatever the office may be or the gift may be. We have different specialties. But all of us have a ministry of reconciliation. All of us are duty-bound as good faithful soldiers in the Lord to go and intercede for the world and not condemn the world. That's not our job because at one time we were those very same people. Have we forgotten where God's brought us from? Right? We all got a testimony, right? Everybody got a testimony? God brought them out of something, did something for them, delivered them, whatever it may be. I promise you that the only reason that testimony came to fruition is because somebody bore a cross for it. You cannot have a testimony without somebody somewhere bearing a cross for that testimony. How many testimonies are out there? I'll just bring it up again. The LGBTQ community. If we would just bear our cross and go and intercede for them. And the Lord would just open their eyes and remove the veil and they would come to the knowledge of who he is. That there's a better life. That there's more to this than just living for yourself. It is more important, let's move on to my next point. It is more important, certainly here, and us as the church into the world, that we be at peace with one another. That it is to be right in a dispute or a debate. It is more important, it doesn't matter how right somebody is in a, in a dispute among brethren, for instance. Me and Brother JJ, we're going to go at it. I know I'm right. I'm always right. Or J.J. is wrong, right? But what good is it me being right and, and persisting in my stubbornness of being right if all I'm doing is tearing him down? It benefits nobody, and I do a disservice to the ministry that God's called me to. And I'm not talking about being a teacher. I'm just talking about the ministry of reconciliation. I'm talking about the ministry of bearing a cross and actually following after him. Scripture says, as much as in you is, live peaceably with all men. That includes our governor, the president, cops, the boss at work, the manager you can't stand. Maybe your manager you can't stand your employees. Live peaceably with them. Bear the cross because in God's eyes, that's a soul that's worth it. 
because he died for them just like he died for you. And sometimes we allow religion to blind us, and sometimes we allow doctrine to blind us, and we allow, well, because I got the skirt or the long hair or I dress a certain way that I, somehow I'm something super special in God. And I'm not trying to take away from anything God's done in somebody's life, but what God has done is he says, you're, you're lost, now you're found. Now here's the ministry I've called for you to do. Go do it. Bear the cross. You can't even be my disciple. You're not even in the game. You're not even in the playing field if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me. The job of the stronger, and we find this numerous times in Scripture. Those who have liberty in Christ, those who are strong in the faith, they are to bear the weaknesses of those who are weak in the faith. They are to constrain even their own liberty so that way they don't bring an offense to those who may not have a full understanding of the liberty that they have in Christ. It isn't, we look at, we think that, well, because I'm super spiritual, I've got this great knowledge in Scripture, I've got this great knowledge of God, I'm going to go browbeat everybody with it. That doesn't do anything. God gave you knowledge and gifts and everything for the express consent of building up those around you, not lording over anybody. The entire ministry of Christ, everything God has done, I mean, just imagine this. God is infinite, God has always existed, always will exist, yet his character is that of wanting to restore the broken. That's it. All God wants to do is see his people restored. But our flesh gets in the way. It does what it does. And then when I, in my persistence, keep going at JJ, and then I come to my senses, and I say, man, I messed up. Forgive me. The expectation then on Brother JJ would be to forgive me and gain a brother. Is making sense so far? It is better to suffer wrong than it is to seek justice. Let me explain this for a second. Justice without love is just revenge. Look at the court cases going on in the media. It's all about revenge. It ain't about justice. It's revenge. Because justice, true justice, in the way that God sees justice, is God going to eventually, is he going to condemn all sin and those who refuse to come to him? Yes, there is going to come that day, but right now it hasn't happened. Right? True justice, rooted in love, it frees the one who was wrong because forgiveness comes in, and forgiveness frees the one who was wrong. But it also has the ability to the offender that after they've wronged to say, it's not going to destroy me. I know I messed up, but because the person's giving me grace and another chance, I can correct what I've done wrong. I can be of value again. That I'm not just thrown away. That I'm not, my reputation isn't just garbage from here on out. I mean, you got, I, I can't, youth, please be careful what you do online. Because I'm going to tell you something. I just want to tell you something. There are literally, I, I, I see this story. This lady had just got promoted to one of these top magazines, editor-in-chief of this magazine. I forgot the name. It's probably Vogue or something. I don't know much about it. She had to resign because of a single tweet that is now, in today's context, 
viewed badly compared to what it was eight years ago when she made the tweet, that stuff comes back to bite you. Especially in our hypersensitive world that we're in. The safest thing you can do when you're on social media is to let others see Christ through. Because I promise you, coming from a, I can call myself a technology professional. Thank you. No matter how much you try, this goes for anybody, no matter how much you try to like hide your online activity, I promise you it's being stored. Every keystroke, every search result, every search query. They say, well, I got some super secret thing in my browser or uh, I can hide my network traffic. No, not really. Somebody somewhere is seeing all that data at all times. So let me ask you something. What does your search history say about you? What does, if you look through your timeline and social media, is it filled with just political nonsense? Or is it filled with, I want to get better at following Jesus with the cross? What's it say about you? side tangent. So Jesus suffered all the wrong. God's perfect. He suffered all the wrong. He took on all our sins with the express idea of building us up. See, Jesus had all power. He was able to go out into the bow of a boat and say, peace be still to the storm. But when it came time when he was being tortured and butchered, he was going to be murdered, he showed restraint and meekness in humility. So the manner in which we bear our cross matters. It very much matters. Musicians want to come. It'll be a longer play, but I just, I don't want to forget. All right, so we talked about the, the steps in Matthew. Right, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. But there's a fourth implied step to this. And this is where we bring in this idea of the end game. What was the end game for Jesus? And I talked with Brother Crenshaw. He's not here. I talked with Brother Crenshaw with this a couple weeks ago as I was getting ready for this, just before I'm letting thoughts. I said, what was the end game? I mean, the implication with step four is that we would follow him. Where? And initially I was thinking, well, he went to go die in a hill. Were to go die with him, which it's true, but that wasn't God's end game. That wasn't Jesus's end game. Hebrews chapter twelve. Everybody, everybody wants to stand. Hebrews chapter twelve it says, "Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us." And let us run the race, run with endurance the race that is set before us. So basically, bear your cross. Deny yourself, take it up, follow him. That's what's being said here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This is the end game right here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And you say, well, what are you talking about, John, the joy? Do you know that Jesus... When he saw you and me in our sin, lost, 
no hope. He didn't want to just redeem us, but seeing us redeemed is what actually gives him joy. And this is where I would like to ask all of you, where are we at in our relationship with people in the world? Are we so busy to condemn, or can we not see the end game? Can we not see what God is wanting to do in the world and that thing actually be the thing that gives us joy? It's not enough to just, well, God wants to save the world. God wants to, you know, reunite mankind with them. But it's the thing that actually makes him happy. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is it that makes us happy as believers? Is it our doctrine? Is it religion? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it at all. But the heart of Jesus was that he got joy in having the opportunity to see people who didn't have a, deserve a chance have a chance. And that is what allowed him to go through and actually fulfill his calling in following and bearing his cross and actually dying on it. Can we see it? Can we see the end game? It's not doctrine. It isn't even necessarily about defeating sin. It's about our heart transformation in us. Because if we don't have that end game, if we can't see that end game and we don't get joy from seeing people restored, we're never going to finish actually bearing our cross. We're going to drop it along the way. Ask the backslider. They stop focusing on building others up and started focusing on themselves and it cost them everything. Now they're miserable wrecks. It is only through the process of losing our life on the cross that we actually find it. We have a right to life, right? I said this already, but for every testimony, I could tell you my testimony. People know where I come from. I was raised here, but people know the things that I came through. But I had a bishop bearing his cross. I have an elder pastor who bore his cross. I have an elder. These three men right here really bore their cross for me. I can tell you the times I've had conversations with him where I'm down on myself or down in the dumps or whatever. You can play too. You can play me out here. Unless you're really liking what I'm saying. There are times when I've been down in the dumps or feel like I don't see it. I can't not worth it. And I've had all three of these men, all three of them, say, John, you're called to be a teacher. They saw the end game. And it wasn't just seeing me be something, but they actually took joy in it. I remember pastor was so happy when I was installed finally. It took forever, but I was installed finally as Christian ed director. Finally stepped into the calling. But you know what? I was also extremely happy to see you when you were installed. And it gave me joy. Can we look at the people that even wrong us? The people that wrong us, we get on each other's nerves. We're family. It's what happens. But our instant reaction is, should be, I forgive. They don't even have to ask for forgiveness. God didn't wait for people to ask for forgiveness when he was nailed to a cross. He just said, Father, forgive them. Nobody said, I'm sorry. Because he got so much joy out of seeing what they could be in the relationship he's going to have with them. The church must bear its cross and be the light to this world. That is what this country is missing. 
No one's willing to bear a cross anymore. You want yes men? You want to surround yourself with yes men? What you're going to get? No growth. No cross bearing. Because it's not a sacrifice to you. It doesn't cost you anything. But more importantly, bear your cross and watch what God does through you. Because God always works through a humble spirit and a humble heart. All of us are at different stages. And as Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. With the implied forward step of actually dying with them and the end game being joy. All of us are at different stages. So I'd invite you to come if you're at stage one you haven't really denied yourself or maybe it's been a while and the cross is just laid at your feet and you haven't picked it up yet know that it's the only thing that's actually going to give you true happiness and the only thing that's going to give you true joy it's the only thing worth doing or maybe you're at the next place where maybe you've picked up the cross but you become tired or you've stagnated or maybe you've begun to compromise your walk with God understand this that there's only one way to bear the cross and that's through humility to continue on and if you need help you got brothers and sisters here who will help you we'll help bear your cross so long as you continue to keep moving forward or maybe you picked it up you're starting to follow sometimes you just get worn down and you're just saying, is this even worth it? I would encourage you to fix your eyes on the end game again. Let God work on your heart again. Find a place to repent again and say, God, fix my viewpoint. Fix my point of view. Let me see the joy again. Let me see what it's all about again. Let me see with your eyes. Make your ways my ways. Let me see through your eyes, God. Let me see what you're going to do in this community that right now is hating our guts and is persecuting us, trying to shut down churches. But God, let us see with your eyes and go into a spirit of repent, of intercessory prayer for them and to see the joy. You know how awesome it's going to be? You know how awesome it would be to see Governor Wimmer get the Holy Ghost? Do you know how awesome it would be to see our president I'm a believer. Get past the politics. Get past the sin of people. God, God, he can take care of this. He took care of that at Calvary. He can take care of that. But he needs his church to be the church. He needs his church to bear the cross. Because if we don't do it, this country's doomed. So I invite you, no matter where you're at in this stage, if you want to come pick up the cross, no matter where you're at, go find a place to pray.